Hey, welcome to Pickled Parables. My name is Jesse. This episode is the last of our mini-series, The Do-Nots. So far, we've looked at the value of the Bible and the importance of the church. So today, we're going to wrap it up and we're going to look at prayer. Again, we'll take the perspective of how it could be misused, and then we'll use that understanding to learn its value and how to practice it correctly. So this week, we're, it's, it's called How to Sound Proficient in Prayer. And let me add here, I, I want to be gentle with this topic in comparison to the other ones. Because for a lot of people, we weren't taught how to pray. I mean, other, other than receiving encouragement to talk to God as if you're talking to another person. That's, that's great. Great encouragement and totally on point. But we typically learn to pray by listening to other people pray. And so for this lesson, I'd like to specifically focus on biblical examples that could help us understand prayer better. And so there's going to be a lot of Bible verses in this, in this lesson. But before we get into that, let's look at what we uh, should not do. Jesus liked to teach with parables. And one of his teachings was about the prayers of, of two men. One was a Pharisee. Uh, I guess you could think of him as like, a, like an Old Testament scholar. And one was a tax collector. Not anywhere close to that type of prestige. So this is how Jesus told the story in the book of Luke. Two men went into the temple to pray. One was a Pharisee. The other was a tax collector. And the Pharisee, standing by himself, prayed in this way, God, I thank you that I'm not like other men, extortioners or unjust adulterers or even like that tax collector over there. I fast twice a week and I give tithes of all that I get. But the tax collector, standing far off, he wouldn't, he wouldn't even lift up his eyes to heaven. But he beat his breast, saying, God, be merciful to me. I'm a sinner. And I tell you, this man, the tax collector, he went down to his house justified rather than the other. For everyone who exalts himself will be humbled, but the one who humbles himself will be exalted. Now, this story has more to do with self-righteousness than it does about prayer. But something that is made clear is that God opposes the proud, but gives grace to the humble. And that's something that we can take into our topic. It can help us frame the mindset behind prayer. So let's, let's set up that framework, because I think that would be really beneficial for us in our conversation, in our talk about prayer. So in the book of Hebrews, we're told that God knows the attitude of our hearts. This is a, a fairly well-known uh, couple of verses. Uh, the Word of God is living and active. It's sharper than any two-edged sword, piercing to the division of soul and of spirit, of joints and of marrow, and discerning the thoughts and intentions of the heart. No creature is hidden from his sight, but all are naked and exposed to the eyes of him to whom we must give account. Now, to, to help 
build up this framework, let's also look at 1 John. This is chapter 5, verse 14. I write these things to you who believe in the name of the Son of God, that you may know that you have eternal life. This is the confidence that we have toward him. If we ask anything according to his will, he hears us. Again, in in Hebrews, we find that we are encouraged to approach God with confidence. Let us with confidence draw near to the throne of grace that we may receive mercy and find grace to help in time of need. And lastly, in 1 John chapter 1, we can see that God is generous in his favor towards us and justified in offering it to us. If we confess our sins, God is faithful and just to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. Now, these verses is, is quite a bit to, be, to throw at you right away. I'm, I'm sorry about that. But these verses are great because they, they help set up a biblical understanding of prayer. One result from prayer, uh, from prayer, according to these verses, is that it pulls our desires and it pulls our plans into alignment with God's will. In a weird way, it pulls out confession. <clears throat> Excuse me. I, I think Timothy Keller said it uh, best when he said that the basic purpose of prayer is not to bend God's will to mine, but to mold my will into his. And, and that's, that's it. Prayer is an intimate appeal made to God, which is, is possible through the death and the resurrection of Jesus Christ and the, the indwelling Holy Spirit. Because of that, every barrier between mankind and God has been removed. But the only thing that could stand in our way is mankind's pride and our selfish desires. That's why we're told to come with a humble heart. We're supposed to approach the throne of grace with confidence, maybe even a little bit of excitement, but with a mind of reverence. We're supposed to present ourselves with exposure and with confession. And this humility, it's, it's just a natural reaction of approaching an all-knowing and an all-powerful God. Prayer really is amazing because we're able to bring our anxieties and our concerns to God through the intermediary work of Christ and the assistance of the helper Holy Spirit. I have a few more verses to go along with that statement. This is from Hebrews chapter 7. Consequently, Jesus is able to save to the uttermost those who draw near to God through him because he always lives to make intercession for them. And this is from Romans 8. Likewise, the Spirit helps us in our weakness, for we don't know what to pray, what to pray for as we ought, but the Spirit himself intercedes for us with groanings too deep for words. And he who searches hearts, that's God, knows what is the mind of the Spirit because the Spirit intercedes for the saints according to the will of God. 
And finally, 1 Peter 5, 7, uh, humble yourselves under the mighty hand of God so that at the proper time he may exalt you, casting all of your anxieties on him because he cares for you. Now, what all of this means, think of this as like a snowball just getting bigger and bigger. (laughs) What all of this means is that prayer is not supposed to be a ritualistic practice or, I don't know, a, a mechanic observance. The idea of sounding proficient in prayer or good at it, sounding good at prayer, it, it comes from a desire of impression. Believe it or not, but sometimes pastors want to sound good in front of a congregation. Maybe a, a, a person in a, in a prayer group wants to impress their friends. Now, the, the attitude behind this idea, there's a couple, there's a couple attitudes, but one of them, it, it can be one of self-consciousness, right? Like, we want to sound like we know what we're doing. We want to sound like we're a good Christian. Another attitude that this could be is one of devoted religiosity, like, like it's a tradition, like it's something that you do because you think you should do it, or maybe you just you want to fit in. Now, the way in which Jesus prayed in the Gospels is an excellent, excellent example of humility and submission to God's will. There's, there's a few more verses here. I'll, I'll read them. In Matthew chapter 11, it says, At that time, Jesus declared, I thank you, Father, Lord of heaven and of earth, that you have hidden these things from the wise and from the understanding, but revealed them to little children. Yes, Father, for such was your gracious will. Now, when I hear that, I don't think think that sounds like a typical modern prayer. Does it? What about this one? This This is from John. My soul is troubled. Again, this is Jesus talking. My soul is troubled. And what should I say? Father, save me from this hour? It's for this purpose I've come to this hour. Father, glorify your name. Now this one in particular is really fascinating, especially when we consider that Jesus intercedes for us. Because his entire life on earth was devoted to fulfilling God's will. Listen to this. This is another verse, but it it just sums it up. Jesus withdrew from his disciples about a stone's throw away. He knelt down and he prayed, saying, Father, if you're willing, remove this cup from me. Now, this was right before Jesus was arrested. This was right before he was uh, arrested in the garden and he was taken to this, this weird kind of uh, trial thing that wasn't really a trial, but it kind of was. And then he was taken to the Roman governor and he was executed. He was crucified. So this is right before all of these happened, all of these things happened. And Jesus was aware of it. He knew this was going to happen to him. And so he comes and he, he pleads. He says, Father, if you're willing, remove this cup from me. And this cup, it, it's a reference to uh, this, this idea of the, the cup uh, of God's wrath. 
And it's, it's talked quite a bit in the Old Testament. In fact, we're going to see it come up again. But it's the idea of, of what Jesus was about to experience. He was going to experience horrible things. And ultimately, the wrath of God, because he was going to be the payment for mankind's sin. And so Jesus is in this intense moment where he's saying, Father, if you're willing, remove this cup from me. But not my will, yours be done. And that's amazing because even up to the point of death, Jesus humbled himself and aligned himself with God's will. But his humility wasn't a show. It wasn't something that he built up in himself. It was a natural reaction (laughs) to the presence of God. When we pray, we should imitate Christ. We're not trying to impress anyone with our words or with our religious observance. Ultimately, we're trying to align ourselves with God, with God's will. Now, at this point, we need to ask, we need to ask a question. What is God's will? We keep talking about it. <laughs> what is it? And you know, this, this question is uh, a little difficult because there's, there's so much content already produced. There's so many books that have been written to address this question. What that means is that there's also a lot of different opinions about this topic, which is kind of why... I'm hing-hong around this. But for the sake of our topic today, uh, I, I want to present three Bible passages that clearly outline God's general desire. And what I want to do for you is I want to read these passages and I want to make one observation from each. We, we could make several. We could spend a whole time looking at these passages, but for the sake of time, I'll read through it, and I'll make an observation from it. So this is in regard to God's, God's will. So the first one comes from 1 Timothy chapter 2. Starting in verse 1, it says, First of all, I urge that supplications, prayers, intercessions, and thanksgivings be made for all people, for kings who are in high positions, Oh, I read that wrong. For kings and all who are in high positions, that we may lead a peaceful and quiet life, godly and dignified in every way. This is good, and it's pleasing in the sight of God our Savior, who desires all people to be saved and to come to the knowledge of the truth. So, an observation that we can make from this is that God wants or it's, it's pleasing to God, that Christians, those who have confessed Jesus as Lord and have been indwelled by the Holy Spirit, God wants Christians to pray for and interact with the people of the world in an effort that they may be saved and come to the knowledge of truth. That's, that's one observation. Here, here's the next passage, 1 Peter 2, 13-16. Be subject for the Lord's sake to every human institution, whether it be to the emperor as supreme or to governors as sent by him to punish those who do evil and to praise those who do good. For this is the will of God, that by doing good, 
you should put to silence the ignorance of foolish people. Live as people who are free, not using your freedom as a cover-up for evil, but living as servants of God. Now, one observation that we can make from this passage is that it is the will of God that Christians live out Jesus' teachings of right conduct in an effort to highlight the truth of God and silence the lies of men. Lastly, I'll present 1 Thessalonians 4, 1 through 8. Finally then, my brothers, we ask and urge you in the Lord Jesus that as you received from us how you ought to walk and please God just as you're doing, that you do so more and more and more. For you know what instructions we gave to you through the Lord Jesus. And this is the will of God, your sanctification, that you abstain from sexual immorality, that each one of you know how to control his own body in holiness and in honor, not in the passion of lust like the Gentiles who do not know God, and that no, no, that no one transgress and wrong his brother in this manner, because the Lord is an avenger in these things, as we've told you beforehand and solemnly warned you. Because God has not called us for impurity, but he has called us in holiness. Therefore, whoever disregards this, disregards not man, but God, who gives us his Holy Spirit. Now, the last observation that I'll offer is that it is the will of God that Christians be sanctified by the Holy Spirit through the teachings of Jesus Christ. So, from these three Bible passages, thank you for sticking with me, (laughs) but from these three Bible passages, we can find the general desire of God. God wants to partner with people in order to save other people. God wants truth to triumph over lies. And God wants to sanctify and renew those who come to him. Those just are from a single observation from each passage. We could make so many more. But these revelations help inform the mindset that we would need in order to align ourselves with God's will. And by reading the Bible and making observations like what we just did, we will become more and more informed about what God's will is. Now, when we come and when we pray, we're going to find ourselves in different situations. We might sometimes pray by ourselves. We might uh, pray with a group of people. And for some, we, we might lead a congregation of people in prayer. Now, who we're praying to doesn't change, but how we pray, that, that could change. If you're praying and then you bring in more people who are also praying, then you're, just, you're going to make accommodations so that you can pray together. So let's, let's talk about that briefly. Let me first talk about personal prayer. We have excellent biblical examples of personal prayer in the Old Testament and the New Testament, but especially, especially in the Psalms in the Old Testament. David wrote a lot of prayers that were 
almost like poetry that were kind of like they could be played on uh, on a harp or they could be sung a cappella that they 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 were, could be really versatile in their use but but David would write them in a moment when he really felt them and he would carry them to other times when he would want to reminisce or or that's why they're written down but David wrote a lot of prayers that were very personal in nature like Psalm 51 and Psalm 63 And those stand in contrast to other psalms that were meant to be public, like Psalm 60. And again, I want to read a couple more passages to you so that you can hear the difference between them. So I'll, I'll read the first four verses of Psalm 63. This is one of David's personal uh, prayers. And then I'll read the first four verses of Psalm 60, uh, which is more, more public. So uh, here's, here's Psalm 63. Oh God, you are my God. Earnestly I seek you. My soul, it thirsts for you. My flesh, it faints for you. As in a dry and weary land where there's no water. So I have looked upon you in the sanctuary, beholding your power and your glory, because your steadfast love is better than life. My lips will praise you. So I will bless you as long as I live. In your name, I will lift up my hands. And here's the first four verses of Psalm 60. O God, you have rejected us. You've broken our defenses. You have been angry. Oh, restore us. You have made the land to quake. You have torn it open. Repair its breaches, for it totters. You have made people see hard things. You have given us wine to drink that makes us stagger. That's, that's actually a mention of the cup of God's wrath. <laughs> you have set up a banner for those who fear you, that they may flee to it from the bow. Now, from, from hearing those two different passages, you probably, the first thing you probably noticed is the, the change of pronouns. My God, I earnestly seek you. My soul thirsts for you. And you have rejected us broken our defenses, restore us. When you pray in a group, it becomes more corporate, not in the sense of like business, but more in the sense of like there's people involved. You're praying with each other, sometimes for each other, to God. Now, you can still pray for personal things in groups. That's totally fine. I mean, you heard David. He was, he was crying out for very personal help in a corporate setting. It was communal in the sense that everyone needed that particular help and they agreed with his prayer. Now, in David's personal prayer, he was praying in a more individual way. He he was presenting personal feelings like in the other prayer, but they were individually personal. It was David before God, not David and his friends before God. Also, when you pray to God in a group setting, or in front of a congregation, you're, you're representing and speaking on behalf of the people. You're leading people in prayer. And a great biblical example of this leading prayer is Solomon's prayer of dedication. Again, it's, it's another Bible passage, but let me read this. This is good. Solomon stood before, before the altar of the Lord in the presence of all the assembly of Israel, And he spread out his hands toward heaven 
and said, O Lord, God of Israel, there is no God like you, in heaven above or on earth beneath, who keeps covenant and showing steadfast love to your servants who walk before you with all of their heart. You have kept with your servant David, my father, what you declared to him. You spoke with your mouth and with your hand. You have fulfilled it this very day. Now, in this prayer, Solomon was leading the people of Israel in prayer. Now, this might not have been what everyone in the congregation would have prayed. Maybe someone else was, had something on their mind. But Solomon prayed on behalf of them and directed the focus and attention of his prayer, not on necessarily uh, personal things, but he directed the focus and attention of his prayer on divine truth that had been formally established. Whether we're praying alone or with people, we can't forget that prayer is meant to align our desires and our minds with God's will. That's kind of where the whole idea of sounding proficient in prayer gets started, especially when we pray in front of people. But we can't forget the purpose of prayer. We get to reach out from a place of grace and approach our Heavenly Father. And so I I encourage you, do that. Approach the throne of grace boldly. We're not trying to impress God with how we sound. We should be more focused on what God's will is and then pray in accordance with it. Hey, thanks for joining me today. Prayer is, it's vital to our spiritual growth. And I would encourage you to to practice it daily. If we truly pray in accordance with God's will, then we will become more and more sensitive to His desires. And that's important if we're supposed to be renewed into the image of our Creator. This is the last of our do nots. Hopefully this was a a fun little series for you. I certainly enjoyed it. I I, I had a lot of fun putting together these these lessons. But starting in the next couple of weeks, we're going to move on to uh, an actual book of the Bible. I'm, I'm really excited to start like an exegetical study in place of a topical lesson. Uh, but next week, we're going to ease our way towards the epistles in order to help give context for the book that we're going to study. We're going to study uh, Galatians, so uh, I'm, I'm looking forward to that. Hey, but thank you again for listening. Uh, and until next week, uh, I'll, I'll catch you later.